By the late summer, the news of what had happened on Animal Farm had spread across half of the country. Every day, Snowball and Napoleon sent out flights of pigeons whose instructions were to mingle with the animals on neighboring farms, tell them the story of the rebellion, and teach them the tune of Beast of England. Most of this time, Mr. Jones had spent sitting in the taproom of the Red Lion at Willingdon, complaining to anyone who would listen of the monstrous injustice he had suffered and being turned out of his property by a pack of good-for-nothing animals. The other farmers sympathized in principle, but they did not at first give him much help at heart. At heart, each of them was secretly wondering whether he could not somehow turn Jones's misfortune to his own advantage. It was lucky that the owners of the two farms which had a joint animal farm were on permanently bad terms. One of them, which was named Foxwood, was a large, neglected, old-fashioned farm, much overgrown by woodland, with all its pastures worn out and its hedges in a disgraceful condition. Its owner, Mr. Picklington, was an easy-going gentleman farmer who spent most of his time in fishing or hunting, according to the season. The other farm, which was called Pinchfield, was smaller and better kept. Its owner was a Mr. Frederick, a tough, shrewd man, perpetually... Uh, perpetually involved in lawsuits and with a name for hard-driving bargains. These two disliked each other so much that it was difficult for them to come to any agreement, even in defense of their own interests. Nevertheless, they were both thoughtfully frightened by the rebellion on Animal Farm and very anxious to prevent their own animals from learning too much about it. At first, they pretended to laugh to scorn the idea of animals managing a farm for themselves. The whole thing would be over in a fortnight, they said. They put it about the animals on the manor farm. They insisted on calling it the manor farm. They would not tolerate the name animal farm. Were perpetually fighting among themselves and were also rapidly starving to death. When time passed and the animals had evidently not starved to death, Frederick and Pickleton changed their tune and began to talk about the terrible wickedness that now flourished on animal farm. It was given out that the animals there practiced cannibalism, tortured one another with red-hot horseshoes, and had their females in common. This is what came of rebelling against the laws of nature, Frederick and Picklington said. However, these stories were never fully believed. Rumors of a wonderful farm where the human beings had been turned out and the animals managed their own affairs continued to circulate in vague and distorted forms. And throughout the year, a wave of rebelliousness ran through the countryside. Bulls, which had always been tractable, suddenly turned savage. Sheep broke down hedges and devoured the clover. Cows kicked the pail, uh, kicked the words, kicked the pail over. Hunters refused their fences and shot their riders to the other side. Above all, the tune and even the words of Beast of England were known everywhere. It had spread with astonishing speed. The human beings could not contain their rage when they heard the song. Although they pretended to think it merely ridiculous, they could not understand. They said how even animals could bring themselves to sing such compatible rubbish. Any animal caught singing was giving a flogging on the spot, and yet the song was irrepressible. The blackbirds whistled it in the hedges, and the pigeons cooed it in the elms, got into the den of the smithies and the tune of the church bells. When the human beings listened to it, they secretly trembled, hearing in it a prophecy of their future doom. Early in October, when the corn was cut and stacked and some of it was already threshed, a flight of pigeons came whirling through the air and alighted in the yard of Animal Farm in the wildest excitement. Jones and all his men, with half a dozen others from Foxwood and Pinchfield, had entered the five-barred gate and were coming up the cart track that led to the farm. 
They were all carrying sticks except Jones, who was marching ahead with a gun in his hands. Obviously, they were going to attempt the recapture of the farm. This had long been expected, and all preparations had been made. Snowball, who had studied an old book of Julius Caesar's campaigns, which he had found in the farmhouse, was in charge of the defensive operations. He gave his orders quickly, and in a couple of minutes, every animal was at his post. As the human beings approached the farm building, Snowball launched his first attack. All the pigeons, to the number of 35, flew to and fro over the men's head and muted upon them from midair, and while the men were dealing with this, the geese who had been hiding behind the hedge rushed out and pecked viciously at the calves of the legs. However, this was only a light skirmishing maneuver, intended to create a little disorder, and the men easily drove the geese off with their sticks. Snowball now launched his second line of attack. Muriel, Benjamin, and all the sheep, with Snowball at the head of them, rushed forward and prodded and butted the men from every side, while Benjamin turned around and lashed at them with his small hoofs. But once again, the men with their sticks and their hobnailed boots were too strong for them. And suddenly, at a special... Is he in trouble? Which was a signal... <laughs>